Jesus says to his church, to his followers, you are the sheep of my pasture over which I am the good shepherd, he says. He says, and my sheep know my voice and they follow. And with his voice, his last words recorded, spoken here on earth in Acts chapter 1, as he is ascending into heaven, he looks at his followers and he says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses to all of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And with that, we have no more recorded words of Jesus speaking, my sheep will know my voice, it says. In other words, we've been given a charge, and his sheep follow. The charge is, you will receive power to be my witnesses, or more accurately, the Greek word there, to be my martyrs to all of the world, in the city right around you, in the area around that, in the nation around that, and indeed into the ends of the earth, you will do that. Now go and do, and my sheep know my voice, and they follow. And so we are, we are in a long series. We're going to be in this for a long time, Acts is long, as we are studying the book of Acts. If you aren't familiar with the book of Acts, Acts is the recording of the very first Christians. With those words, Jesus ascends into heaven. The next chapter, Jesus creates the church. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit comes down. They become devoted to to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to, to breaking bread, to fellowship. And the church begins to grow. And they begin to fulfill that calling because his sheep know his voice and they follow. They become his witnesses to the ends of the earth that all might know him and come to, to follow him. And so we are studying Acts, wanting to know how is it that we can follow his voice to be his witnesses. And so we've called this this series participants because we are all called to participate in that calling every single if you are his sheep my sheep know my voice and they follow so if you belong to him that voice spoke to you and said you will receive power to go be my witnesses to the area around you and indeed to the ends of the earth it wasn't just given to pastors it wasn't just given to to missionaries it was given to sheep and my sheep know my voice And they follow. And so we call it participants because we're all called to participate. As my brother Joe says, we're called to have a participants culture here in the church. And yet, we've also called it participants so that we feel the sting of the conviction of that word. Because can we be honest? We have, we capital C church in modern times, what we have come to know church has rendered most of the time us not to be participants, but for us to be consumers and attenders. And if church is a place where the sheep only come and sit and go, and they don't participate, then the sheep are ignoring the voice of Christ. Can we feel that a little bit? We're we're called to participate, not just to be consumers. And so there ought to sit on all of us, myself included, the heavy question of how are you participating in the mission of God right now? My sheep know my voice and they follow. We're called to participate. So to that end, we study the book of Acts and 
we need to feel its sting of challenge. We need to feel its motivation within us. And I'm going to confess to you, the next, this week and the next two weeks after it are hard. I'm actually kind of scared of preaching next week's sermon. It's hard. The text gets hard. This one gets hard, but we don't hide away from the hard stuff, right? We walk right through it, and we ask God to shape us. If it's hard, and it confronts us, and it convicts us, it's because that's where the Holy Spirit is wanting to change us, right? So that we would receive his power and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So to that end, we study this morning. I've asked, I've asked in a way of participants, I've asked my buddy Elizabeth if she will come up and read us our scripture for this morning. So Elizabeth, you make your way up here. Yeah. So Elizabeth is one of our students, seventh grader. Woo woo. Yes, students. So we are in Acts chapter 8. If you would do me a favor and turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. We have Bibles in the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to, to open that one with us. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that Bible home. That's our gift to you as we study this morning, Acts 8, 1 through 8. Elizabeth, if you will lead us through our, our text this morning. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Keep on going. I'll read to verse 8. There you go. Those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they want. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For the streaks and pure spirits he came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in that city. Awesome. Thank you, Elizabeth, very much. Thank you. Hey, let's, let's pray and we'll begin our study. God, we give ourselves to you to the end that we recognize that you are Lord over all. You are the good shepherd, Father. And as sheep, we are prone to wander and go astray. And our lives reveal the, the, the fruits of that, Father. And yet, uh, you are the good shepherd that pursues us, that leaves the 99, that comes after us, that finds us and brings us back into the fold, that we might know you, that we might know your life, that we might rest in, in green pastures and, and drink of the deep waters, God. And so here we are sheep of your pasture, and we're asking with your beautiful voice that you speak to each of us this morning, that we would indeed, Father, be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. We give that and ask that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I, I don't know if you have, I, I think we, if you, you might have shows that are your guilty pleasures that you like to watch on television. I like to watch survival shows. Um, because, you know, there's going to be a day when I'm like stranded in, in the <laughs> wilderness somewhere and I, I, I have all these TV learned skills of what I should do in that moment and I have to employ them. And, and I, I evidently, one of the first things you're supposed to do if you find yourself stranded in Mongolia or wherever, you know, on a normal day, is that you should find a high place. You should climb a tree. You should climb a mountain in order that you can gain a vantage point to see out over the terrain so you know which direction to go. Where's water? How do I, how do I survive this? Because when you are, are stuck in the middle of it, down in the bottom, you don't have a good perspective on, on what you should do. So you go up to see down so you can get out. Make sense? So this morning, we have the task of ascending the high place of Scripture to look down over our lives. 
And, and we will look down over the situation of, of Acts and, and what, what takes place in the first church here in this moment. And then we'll look ahead into our lives and, and we'll ask of God from the high place, from that vantage point, show us the way we ought to maneuver in this situation. And so to that end, let's ascend together into this story, Acts chapter 8. It's an incredible place that we left off. If you were with us earlier in the fall of 2019, we left off with this tragic story. The very first Christian martyr, a guy named Stephen, who was, who was simply preaching. And the Jews in Jerusalem, so moved with, with evil intent towards the gospel took Stephen out and stoned him to death. They killed him. He was the first martyr. And we leave off with the words of Stephen looking up into heaven. And it says that, that, that his face showed a peace, right? A, a, a simple peace as it radiated the peace of God. And, and he looked up into heaven and gave himself into that. And so we, we pick up the story there. They're just on the hills of watching one of their, their brothers be murdered for the gospel. So that's the context, right? And then as Elizabeth says, there's a guy there named Saul. He's about to become extremely prominent to the story of, of Christianity starting in the next chapter. But here, he's playing a, a terrible role. It, it says that the church continues to be persecuted, and Saul, who is a Pharisee, he, he's a young, ardent Pharisee that, that is angry at the gospel, can't stand these Christians, feel they're being blasphemous, that the gospel is is an affront to his perspective and his culture and all that he's grown up with and he can't stand it because the if Jesus were true it would mean he would have to change everything he knew about himself and he's not ready for that so he he is ardent in his persecution of the church says he's dragging out men and women from their home and he's having them killed just let that sit I don't know what you've complained about to God this week I didn't have a single prayer where I was complaining about somebody dragging out my wife and killing her because she's a believer of Christ. That's what's going on in this situation. So we pick it up there. And look at what it says. It says they were scattered under this persecution throughout Judea and Samaria. So they've been forced to flee their homes. The first Christians became refugees. Let that sit down. Fleeing persecution. Fleeing violence. Fleeing their home. Fleeing their culture. Fleeing everything they knew. Going to Judea, to Samaria, a different country. They're having to flee because of the violence they're facing. Some godly men, verse 2, bury Stephen and they mourn him deeply. It goes on that one of these men, Philip... It says that, that he goes down into Samaria and he begins to, to preach, to claim, proclaim the Messiah, verse 5. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. 
And with shrieks and impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Amazing movements. He's in a different country. He's in a Samaria. As a Jew all growing up, he had been taught to hate Samaritans. These are people that his mom and dad were racist towards. He would have grown up in a racist culture towards Samaritans, and now he finds himself, just like Jesus with the woman at the well, in Samaria, and he is preaching Jesus, the Messiah, and he is watching the Holy Spirit come down on them and stir and people are being healed and the church begins and we end the text verse 8 with there was great joy in that city what a scenario but it's verse 4 that I want us to focus on because to me this challenges me to my core those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went Let's just pause. Those who had been scattered preached the word, the gospel, wherever they went. Let's climb up on our high place and look down. Because to me, this offers a challenge. Because if there's not something in you going, what? Then let's pause and give some, some, some context to here. So let's just put this in. They are being killed for their faith. They are running away from home. They are refugees in the midst of their most painful experience they've ever had because of their newfound faith in Christ. In the midst of that, their response is not to sit down in self-pity and cry out to God, where are you? If you loved me, you would stop. I thought you said in Jesus Christ, you loved me and I'm redeemed to you. Why, are, why, am I, why do I have to go through this, God? Do you hear any self-pity in their response? It says, no, wherever they went, they preached the word. If that doesn't convict you, I don't know what does because let something bad happen to me and I will turn to self-pity in a heartbeat, right? We've all prayed those prayers. God, what gives, right? Haven't you? Why do I have to go through this, God? And we hear nothing in that. The first Christians jumped right to, in the middle of wherever they were, preaching the word. Not just questioning God's goodness. They did the opposite. They told other people about God's goodness. Stop. If God was good... How do they know that? Because they're going through bad situations. How dare they preach God's goodness when they're going through such bad... What is, 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 are they lying? What gives them the confidence to preach the word in the midst of their heartache? Let's just quickly pause and not, we're going to throw some things at this this morning and allow it to convict us. First of all, they preach God's goodness because God's goodness is not based off of the goodness of your circumstances, but the goodness of the cross and the empty tomb. That's the gospel. They are confident in God's goodness and can still preach Jesus in the midst of their pain because God's goodness had already been revealed in the cross and the empty tomb. And to believe in the gospel to the fullest extent says that everything else in my life can go to pot, but that still means God is good because he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for me. And that's the ultimate extent of good, right? Right? 
do you believe that? Because life will, life will demand you to ask whether you believe that or not. So let's go back. And from our lofty place of scripture, it offers us a perspective on our purpose and our pain. Two words that carry heavy weight. Listen to verse 4. It says that those who had been, and say that word with me, scattered. Pause. Pause. In that word is understanding. Those who had been scattered. There's two Greek words that could be used right there. One is a word that, that's like if you are walking and you trip and you drop stuff and you, it just happens to scatter all over the floor. You spill it out. It, it, it points to happen chance of oops. The other is the word for a farmer purposefully scattering and sowing seed. Guess which of the two words is used there? Of a farmer scattering seed. Stop, because that, crazy, that also raises some theological problems. You're saying God scattered them, which means God used the painful situations in their life to put them in position to preach the gospel. Wait, God used the pain? He told them, hey, you're going to be my witnesses into all of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Until this point, the Christians had yet to leave Jerusalem. So God used the pain to fulfill his promise. You will get to Samaria, I promise you. Whether by choice or I might have to use what the world means for evil, I will turn for good, God promises. I will put you, even through painful situations, into places where I could use you. But this begs the question of purpose. Because the reason, if there's something in you that goes, why are they preaching the gospel in that moment? Why aren't they crying out? Are these superheroes that don't feel self-pity? No. They're sinners like you and I. Why is it that they're willing to preach the gospel? What is it there? And I think it points to their understanding of their purpose. What is the purpose of a seed? To grow. You're, it's all right, Carson. That's right. What happens? You plant a seed. That's exactly. What happens if the seed says to the farmer, Farmer, make me more comfortable, please. Farmer, I don't like being buried under all this stuff. Would you come rescue me, please? Farmer, this is hard right now. Farmer, if you loved me, you would come and pamper me. 
Farmer, will you just take me and put me on a pillow of ease and, and, be, and just spoil me? Put me in the most beautiful pot ever, but don't put any soil on me. And please don't drown me. Being drowned is hard. And please don't put me under heat because that's uncomfortable. God, God just help me be the most comfortable seed I can be. You following? Is the purpose of the farmer... Is the purpose of the farmer to bring comfort to the seed? Is the purpose of the seed to remain a seed that is comfortable? In order for the seed to fulfill its purpose, it must be willing to let go of itself and all of its comfort. If that sounds familiar, it should because Jesus said it. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. So what if I were to tell you that the purpose of a seed was to die to itself in order to fulfill its purpose? Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? He said, but if it dies, it produces many seeds because it becomes a tree that has fruit that has more seeds in it. But the seed can never reach that point of purpose unless it's willing to die to itself. As long as the seed says to itself, seed, I want to be the most comfortable seed I can be. The farmer exists for me as the seed. I have no other purpose in my life but just to be a seed and be comfortable. It will never fulfill its purpose. Which, by the way, would make that seed feel as unsatisfied with life as it can be because it would never fulfill what it was created to do. Do you know why God created mankind? And put them in the middle of a garden? Follow me, there's some analogy happening here. He said, let's make man and woman in our image. And he placed them in a garden. And says, multiply. They were always meant to be seeds unto God's glory. It is the purpose of mankind to radiate the glory of God into all of creation. Sin separates us from that. Separates that. So suddenly seeds begin to live for themselves and not for the glory of God. But we are redeemed by Christ. We know the self-end and self-glory leads to no satisfaction. And so we are redeemed unto Christ. And guess what we are redeemed back to? The purpose we were created for in the very beginning to be seeds unto the glory of God. That's why we were created. It's why we were redeemed. But here's my problem. If we are not careful, we will preach the false gospel that does not teach that Jesus made a crazy claim that if you are to come after me, you must die to yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Wait a second. I thought Jesus died the death. Oh, yes, he died a physical death. So that we don't have to have that fear of the anger of God. And he invites us to die a spiritual death. He invites us? Who invites you to die? The lover of your soul does. 
Because he says you are encapsulated in selfishness and self-focus and self-purpose. And that's what sin does. And until you allow the grace of God to crack open the kernel and the kernel of selfishness dies, then you cannot become the radiance of God's glory into the world, which is what you were created to be. So Jesus teaches anyone who loves their life will lose it. If you want to stay a seed and say, it's all about me, farmers serve me. And here's the problem in the church. We have people that pray into salvation. Hey, pray this prayer and then ask God to serve you the rest of your life. And we've not taught that, hey, now your purpose is for the rest of your life to go glorify God. That's your purpose. Die to self. Glorify God. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what you're, where you live. Glorify God. Seeds unto the glory of God. While anyone who hates their life, willing to lose the shell of selfishness in this world, will keep it for eternal life and eternal purpose. So let's go back to our story. Why in Acts chapter 8 are they in the midst of their pain willing to when they hit the ground in a new country out of their home having just watched their brother their family members murdered for the gospel why are they willing to preach the gospel because they have died to themselves and they understand that christian and christianity is ultimately the invitation to stop living for your own glory and to stop start living for the glory of god and so of course they would they say we're seed God has scattered us. I find myself in a new place. I will do in the new place what I was doing in my comfortable place, giving glory to God, because that's what I'm created to do. And so here they are. And Philip, doing that, is preaching. He's preaching the gospel. And he gets to watch, as he's preaching the Messiah, people who were paralyzed come to to be raised again, which to me creates a, a new problem. And and we got to hear this. Some of you are in hard, hard situations that are uncomfortable. We all go through seasons of that. And let's just sit under the uncomfort of that, of this right here. So God healed them. God made paralyzed people who were in themselves in terrible situations, and he removed it. And they got to walk. Meanwhile, the Christian that told them about the God himself was in a terrible situation and God didn't remove his pain. Why is it that God chooses to heal some and chooses not to heal others? Let me say something that's hard. But when we die to self and we say, you know what my purpose in life is? And ironically, what my happiness in life will be, where I will feel most fulfilled, because as a seed, I was made to bring glory to God. That God will orchestrate stuff in my life in order that I might bring him the most glory. He is the farmer that works the soil. He is the farmer that prunes the tree to bring glory to him. And so it might mean that God chooses to remove pain. What was the result when he removed the the paralysis of the people there? His glory. What was the result when he chose not to remove the pain of the Christians? His glory. So hear me. God might choose to use your pain. He might choose to remove your pain. But he will always choose to redeem your pain. 
because it is about his glory in this world. So if you are sitting under a diagnosis that is heavy and hard, we can wallow in self-pity when we think that life's about me. But when I have died to self and say, you know what? Life's about the glory of God. Then like the Philip in Samaria going, this is an opportunity to give glory to God. This is a place I wouldn't have chosen for myself. I wouldn't have asked for this. It has been forced upon me. I feel like I've been scattered into places that I did not choose. But it's okay because I'm not the farmer. And the farmer doesn't exist to make me comfortable. I exist to bring his glory. And ironically, it's there that I will find all the happiness in the world. So by the way, if God chooses to remove the hardships of your life, but it doesn't result in his glory in your life, you would still be as unsatisfied as you were while you were sick, while you were in hardship. Why? Because the seed will always be unsatisfied until it finds its purpose, the glory of God. That's a different way of looking at pain, isn't it? So let me ask this morning. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? Where in this analogy are you? Mercy is great stuff. Grace is is beautiful stuff. Jesus bids us to come and die and find that in him we might truly live. Have you embraced Have you embraced the purpose of the gospel in your life as your purpose of living? Because until you do, if you have not, then you will be embracing your own happiness as your purpose. And as long as you are embracing your own happiness, you will find God confusing and frustrating. Because he doesn't work for the seed's happiness. Do you hear that? But when you say, you know what, God, I will relinquish unto you my pursuit of happiness and I will pursue your kingdom and trust that you will make me happy in time. I will give it to you. Then suddenly you will find God makes a whole lot more sense because God will move and work to bring himself glory. And you know what is most satisfying When you achieve the goals you set for yourself, it's satisfying stuff. And if you set for yourself to bring glory for God, you will find God moving in the same direction and for the same cause and with a power that is beyond you to a purpose that just will blow you away. But if your purposes are self, oh seed, we will be confused and frustrated with the farmer. May he scatter us into the world and bring himself glory. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of these Christians who would, in the midst of their pain, still find you good enough to talk about, to preach about, to depend upon. Thank you that you make promises like though the darkness may last through the night, though sorrow may last through the night, there will be a morning and joy comes in the morning. 
Thank you, Father, that we sit under this weight, that though it might feel like that we are buried and the heat of this world is, is coming on us at times, though it feel like we may be drowning, God, to you, that is just watering the soil. You are causing stuff to grow that will bring glory to you. Thank you, God, that you, you care about us enough to prune things out of our life, even when we don't understand why, that we might become more fruitful. Thank you, God, that in time, all of this will make sense that we will have the ability to sit from the lofty perch of heaven and look down over our life. And suddenly we will see pain with new perspective. And so, God, we are asking that in the meantime, you grant us that perspective here and now. That we would live for your glory in our lives, in, in our marriages, in our, in our parentships, God, in our hardships, in our loneliness, God, we would, we, you would put to death that we might proclaim with Paul that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That, that it might be about your glory in this world, God. Father, I, 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 I need your help to make that happen in my life. That is a lofty call that only you can fulfill within me. So merciful, beautiful God, fulfill your ends within us. We pray that. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.